1: Hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous Podcast. I'm your host, Jamar. Today's episode 179, and we're going to be interviewing Christy. How are you doing, young lady?
0: I'm good. How are you today? Thanks for having me.
1: No, it's a pleasure. I can't wait to do this. So let's dive in here. Tell me about your childhood and growing up.
0: Um, I'd like to say I had a pretty decent childhood. Um, it wasn't perfect by any means. You know, my mom was a single parent. There were three of us me and my sisters were each 15 months apart. So you can imagine the type of turmoil that went on in our house. Um my mom worked a lot. Uh she had some boyfriends that were not so great, but for the most part we had a pretty decent childhood, so What
1: was not so great about them?
0: Um like one was, you know, just didn't know how to handle kids um as far as discipline and things like that. Um and the other one, he was more when we were teenagers, so he kind of figured because, you know, let's say if I'm the youngest and I'm 15, we're ranging from like, you know, 14, 15 to 18, that we're all of a sudden adults and that they can just go do whatever they want. And that's really not the case. That's kind of when you need your parents the most, you know? So my mom just wasn't around a lot.
1: And where was dad?
0: Um, I didn't see my dad for about 10 years growing up. Uh, my mom, my dad got divorced when I was five. So the, um, we started getting into connection again when I was about 15, 16, maybe like a year or so before I graduated high school, but it was a lot of like stand-ups, you know, he'd say, come get me. And then he wouldn't, um, I never intentionally, I'm sure, but things happen. It's just the not giving a phone call kind of thing. That was like, you know, now I am close to my dad. So, um, Once I came back from college, because I left for college 10 days after high school um, when I was 17, when I came back, we all started getting very close, so.
1: So did dad ever tell you where he went for those 10 years?
0: I didn't ask. Um, I knew for a while my mom had kept him away from us. Um, I I don't ask questions why people make the decisions they make. Why hurt my own feelings? You know, because if it's not the answer I want to hear, it's gonna hurt my feelings. I'm I'm okay with the relationship we have now.
1: And that's all that matters. That's right. So, what was your social life like growing up? You have a lot of friends?
0: Uh initially, no. <laughs> um, I was kind of a very weird kid. Um, I I'm still a weird kid, just in an adult body. So, um, I, I think we all I think
1: we all feel like weird kids at a certain point. None of us feel like we fit in, you know?
0: Absolutely, but like I still do not fit in. So, like eventually people find their niche. I did not. I'm still friends with the same people to be fair, but um I had one best friend and she was my best friend. Uh, our teachers used to call us the other halves because we still are. She's still like the other half to my body. And it's actually really funny how we met because I had, we had moved because my mom and the first boyfriend that she had, it didn't end so well. So we ended up moving and we went to a new school and I went to register my inhaler because I'm an asthmatic um, at the nurse's office. And back then you had to do that. Makes no sense, but whatever, public school. Um, I'm filling out the paperwork and I feel someone over my shoulder lean over and she goes, Oh, you live on Wellington Street? Me too. And I just was trying not to be creeped out that this girl is like reading my personal information on this paper. And ever since she has been like my best friend to this day. So a lot of the friends in my life, I've I've had in my life for almost 20 years.
1: How old are you now? I'm 31. 31? You don't look it. You look really young. Thank you. Good for you. It's
0: the trauma. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Okay. No, my mom looks very young too. My mom is 50, and she probably looks about 31. So
1: that's great. So, how did you do in school?
0: I was kind of an overachiever, to be honest. Um, I was a smart one of the three of us. I always had honor roll. Um, I taught myself to read at five. So, if that tells you anything about how I kind of handle education, I always wanted to learn something new. I still do to this day, I still study people. I still try to learn new things online. I still research stuff that isn't even relevant to anything I will ever need it for, um, just because it struck my curiosity. Um, so yeah, I used to get on a roll. I got grants and scholarships when I went to college. And that was about it, because I didn't finish college, so.
1: What was your favorite subject with growing up?
0: Reading. English. Always. I love to read and I love to write. What kind stuff do you write? Well, I write kind of like guides for people. Um, it looks like journal entries, but really it's like tips and tricks, things I've learned, little life lessons, um, just to kind of guide people who want to listen or hear or read it. So,
1: so what age were you first ever exposed to drugs or alcohol?
0: um so for me I started smoking weed in high school but it wasn't really like I meant it if that makes sense you know it was just kind of like I might take one hit because everybody's smoking and I didn't really like feel anything because now I mean obviously after that I smoked more and I knew what being stoned was but at that time I had no clue um and Really, it it was when I came home from college, and I think I was about 18, 19 at that point. Um, I'd been through something very traumatic, and I was looking for anything to not think about it. So I was drinking very heavily, smoking very heavily up until this year. So (laughs) um, yeah, it's a form of escapism. So that's what I used it as.
1: Well, if you don't mind me asking what happened, is it something you want to talk about or no?
0: Well, I'm I'm okay talking about it now. Um, I actually just put my full story up on my YouTube, but I am a violent okay. crime survivor. Um, somebody had targeted me and kidnapped me and uh, some pretty gruesome stuff in between. But I survived and I found my way home and I told nobody. I instead decided that I was going to try to drink everything I was feeling away. It didn't work
1: as a, you know. <laughs> and what age did this happen
0: I had just turned 18
1: you just turned 18
0: yeah I was not even college for a full year
1: people could suck
0: yeah uh, this guy was clearly like insane he targeted me for six months he didn't even go to my school
1: so how did you find it, that out
0: he told me um, yeah he told me Initially, I'd see him all the time, because for six months, I'd see him every day. You know, he was in his mid-30s, so I didn't think it was weird, because a lot of people commuted to my school. Um, but I used to sit outside the library slash coffee shop all the time, and he told me that he got a flat tire on campus and saw that I did not touch my phone and that nobody really came to speak to me. So I was an easy target, and I was.
1: Sure, you went through that it's a shame.
0: It is a shame, but you know what? It happened.
1: It's good that you have that attitude.
0: Yeah. Well, it's taken a long way to get here. (laughs) So trust me. I mean, even I just recorded my trauma narrative last Thursday for to to publish it, you know, to get it out there and finally tell my story. And I was trying to pre-record it. I did not want to do it live. Because it made me uncomfortable. It felt like staring into the eye of Sauron when I stare into the camera. So I kept trying, and maybe seven tries later, I was just like, "Just go live," and I did. And you need to hear it, my voice. I was just so done already, because um, it is—it's very painful to even talk about it, like in detail. And that's what I wanted to do, was just have one recount in full detail for the most part. You know, obviously things I left out, but. Um, they're gruesome and there's no reason to tell that part um you know in full detail to what I was comfortable with it was nice to have one rendition out there you know because my family still does not know a lot of my friends didn't know until I sent them the video they knew something happened because I mentioned it they knew I had complex PTSD nobody ever like knew why and I wasn't willing to give the information even if they asked so
1: What exactly is complex? I remember reading about it, but I forget.
0: So when you get PTSD, that's post-traumatic stress disorder, that's where something traumatic happens, one event, and you get flashbacks and you get, you know, there's triggers that take you back to that place in your mind, you get the flashback. Complex PTSD is a series of events or more than one event that is extremely traumatic. That triggers, you start dissociating which is where you're kind of losing track of time, days, all of that. um, You start getting symptoms of what's called psychosis, which is delusions. You start hallucinating things. Like for me, I'd start smelling trees because my trauma took place in the woods. There are no trees where I'm at. Uh, I feel dirt under my feet and I have shoes on and I'm in a building. Like this doesn't make sense. Um, You know, and for me, I hear symphonies a lot. Um, that that kind of lets me know that I've, I'm feeling some kind of heightened sense of emotion, and that's kind of a warning for me. It's like I keep saying this, but it keep, it's like going into a boss battle in a video game. You start hearing that music pick up. And you're like, wait, wait, wait. I'm missing a vital piece of armor. I need to go back. And then you move away, and then the music stops. It's the same thing for me specifically. Everybody's different. Um, it's just more damage to the brain, basically. I had to sum it up. <laughs> I smile, but there's nothing funny about it, honestly. I just, I'm a comedian, so I try to laugh everything off.
1: <laughs> so do you think you, because, you know, you were telling me before that you are a comedian, do you think you got into comedy? Well, let me ask if you agree with this. Robin Williams once said that it was something along the lines of he believes... That people who make other people smile, the reason they do it is they've been they they know what it feels like to hurt terribly, and they don't want others to feel that way.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, yeah,
1: a, I, you have to look up the quote. It's a good quote. I'm totally I, I misrepresenting it.
0: Um, it's something like I like to make people smile because I know what it feels like to need to smile or something like that, or to feel that down, you know, for just that, even if it's just that one second, they're not feeling pain or sadness or hurt, you know, kind of along those lines. And that's, that's kind of what it is for me too. Um, because I have been very hurt and very sad and very broken. So I love getting on stage and cracking my little jokey jokes and making people mostly uncomfortable. Some of mine are wildly inappropriate, but that's the point you're looking at me and you're like, what is she talking about? But you're not thinking about that electric bill that's overpaid or, you know, the kids homework that you forgot to do before you left or the seven dishes in the sink that, you know, your wife's going to snap about when you get home because you swore you did it before you left. You know, you're not thinking about all the little things that we normally beat ourselves up about all the time. We're sitting there and we're fully focused on trying to figure out what this crazy girl on stage is saying. Because they've never heard anything like it. And that's usually the case with me.
1: (laughs) So let's talk about your drug use. Tell me about the progression. What did it start with? Then what did it lead up to? And then what kind of, you know.
0: So for me, I just smoked weed for a really long time. Um, Honestly, up until like last year, I smoked. But then I started using cocaine. And when I started using cocaine, nothing else mattered, honestly. Um, I was excessive. I gave myself a heart attack at 30. Um, And then a week later, I tried to end my life. But this was like, when I started cocaine, it was literally two months after I lost my 18-year-old sister. And that's when I really started showing signs of complex PTSD, because the, the shock of losing my closest sister at the same age that I should have died spent my brain rampant. Um, I was out of control. I was, I don't even remember most of the time from October to 2020 to like April of this year. So it was bad. Um, that's when I really started using the cocaine to, I don't even know why. I, I don't even think I have a reason. I don't even know what I got out of it, to be honest, other than maybe I got, I was more productive, but if I had a coffee, it'd be the same effect. So um, I have ADHD, you know, um, I think it's just a form of escapism. Honestly, I, I wanted to die.
1: So and one I, more time, when was the first time you tried coke?
0: Uh, it was in like, well, it was like December, or January, like December, 2020, January, 2021.
1: So it's throughout like, your life, the addiction that you were battling most was marijuana.
0: And alcohol, yeah. And
1: alcohol.
0: Oh yeah. Whiskey. Whiskey girl.
1: When did you have your first drink?
0: Ooh, that's a spicy question. Um, actually when I first went to college, really. Because before then, like I had drinks, you know. Um oh, actually the night before I left for college, I got wasted. And the reason I remember getting wasted is because I was trying to get in the back door. Now, mind you, I showed up right before I'm supposed to leave for college. So I know my mom is mad and I am wasted, like wasted. Um, I'm knocking on the back door because it's locked and I have to go to the bathroom. Like I have to go right then and there. And my mom's peeking through the window and messing with me, you know, smiling, excited because, you know, she's dropping a kid off to college and I'm wasted, on the step going open the door, you know, I gotta be myself. And then I did. So
1: you peed yeah, yourself.
0: That was I sure did. Yeah. And my mom was laughing at me. I thought she'd be upset. Nope. She was like, well, I hope you learned your lesson. You know, like that's <laughs> what happens. You know? because uh, my mom does not drink. My mom does not, my mom used to drink or smoke when she was younger, you know, in her early 20s. But when you got three kids and no help, you have to be responsible. You have to be sober at all times because it is just you, you know? Um, she didn't have the kind of help that, you know, I would have for my sisters now. Um, so for her, she, she hasn't done anything. I think I've seen her get drunk off two wine coolers, maybe three times in her life. Once off Kahlua. She had like two sips. I'm like, how are you drunk right now? She was wasted. Hilarious, but wasted, you know? Um, and I was an adult obviously at this time, but for me, it was like all the time after I came back from college because I couldn't remember everything that happened to me. In my head, I'd gotten kidnapped and I walked home. So in my head, I'm going, Your dumbass got kidnapped at 18 and then had to walk home. You know, that's how I looked at myself because I did not unlock the recessed memories that I did this year. Um, it was literally up until this year I thought that, so I was embarrassed. I'm not gonna tell my mother that. She's been telling me to suck it up all my life. That's exactly what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna suck it up.
1: You and mean you blacked out it. everything that happened in between?
0: Uh, yeah. So basically, when something really traumatic like that happens, your brain automatically says, "Let's let's pull that. That's too much," and just locks it away. And like I'd see little like things that felt like I'd been there before, familiar things when I'd have my flashbacks. But I couldn't place, like, what it was or what it meant or what it went to. Like, I had no idea. In my head, I remembered getting kidnapped and finding my way home. And that was it, which was honestly traumatizing enough. So um, it was terrifying because it was a six-hour car ride before any of the rest of it happened. Um, Up and down the same stretch of highway, just being told, like, no one's going to find me no one knows where i am i had no phone and he was right um so it was it was terrifying enough but um unlocking those recessed memories was devastating to say the least but it gave me a, like a an entire new outlook you know before i was like i'm an idiot i should be ashamed of myself because i let something that small this is how i thought by the way clearly not small situation I let something that small ruin my college career because I did. I drank myself straight out of college and went home because I was terrified, but I didn't know what I was terrified of. Like he would find me, I guess, the person who kidnapped me. I didn't know that this person had tried to murder me. I didn't know that this person had tortured me for hours and left me to die. I had no idea, but I was still that terrified to be there like that. He was going to find me. And there was a reason I was left there, but I wasn't sure what, just too much going on and not enough help and no one that I felt safe to talk to about it. My mom is very emotionally detached. I love her. It's not to villainize her. She doesn't do emotions well. So I didn't want to bring that up to her because number one, I didn't want her to know I went through that because no one wants to hear that about their child ever. You know, I have a 10 year old now and if I ever heard someone doing something like that to my child. It would be a witch's hunt Um, because I would burn the city down to find them, you know? And I just, I can't imagine what my mom would do. So I just, I didn't tell anybody. And by not telling anybody, I literally drug out my own torture for like 12 years because I feel better now that I know what happened. I made my peace with it. But instead I was like, I'm just going to drink this away. And you know, not respect men and treat them like garbage and pretend that everything is totally fine and that this is normal behavior. And I'm gonna let my family think that I'm an alcoholic piece of crap and I failed out of college. So smart move, I know.
1: <laughs> well, it is what it is. I mean, it's not about making you gotta do what's best for you at each individual moment in your life.
0: That's true. And I I didn't have much knowledge about mental health then. It was not widely spoken about in schools. It was not spoken about at all in my family, despite the raging mental illness in there. Um, But uh, it was just something people didn't talk about it. And that's, it wasn't that long ago. People still really don't talk about it as much. I, I think it wasn't until the quarantine happened that people really started speaking up about like, I don't feel that great. Is this normal? You know, Cause we got locked inside and now we're dealing with ourselves. And we're like, this sucks. You know, there's no distractions anymore. You can't go out to the bar. You can't go hang out at your friend's house. You can't go out and do something. You're literally stuck home with yourself. Yeah. We had social media and I think that made it worse. Cause now everybody's online. Like, Hey, I see things that aren't there. <laughs> like now you sound crazy because you have no idea what you're talking about. And you're not doing research. You're just posting online about it. I've seen a lot of that. During the pandemic, um, Google is free. Google is free. <laughs> you know, that's, I don't. I don't even know what else to say about it. But definitely, coronavirus definitely brought a new era of mental health education. I feel for everybody because now I walk up to somebody and they're like, "Hey, I'm mentally ill," or "Hey, I'm crazy," and I'm like, "All right, my people." You know, instead of before, it'd be like, you know, I had a joke that my mating call is the sound of a shaking pill bottle and now people are uncomfortable because I told them I'm crazy, you know, but uh, before they'd be uncomfortable, now they're like, hey, you know, the entire stigma is starting to flip. I'm excited about
1: it. Yeah, that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing. Because I have mental health issues, so I have no problem with people not making it such a big deal. Agreed. Or such a taping thing.
0: It is. It is a very good thing. What we need more, though, of is education, which is why I created my mental health project. It's still in the works. It probably won't be done for at least three years, but um, I launch it little by little, you know, segment by segment. I've spent six months on it. So. so all right, all we'll I
1: talk about we'll talk about that at the end. Mm-hmm. Don't let me forget. Okay. Don't let me forget. Um. So, do you think? After what happened to you, it made your drug use worse or alcohol use in your case?
0: Oh, yeah. It's the only reason I ever had a problem with it. Um, before when I drank, it was like here and there. House party, things like that. And it wasn't even much because I didn't. I don't like to lose control. That's the kind of person I am. That was before I even had issues with PTSD. I don't like to be out of control in a situation. I like to feel safe at all times. So... Um, or put, I don't want to put myself in dangerous situations, you know? Um, but when I came back from college, I didn't even feel like a person. So it really didn't matter what I did. You know, I'm, I'm really surprised it wasn't even harder drugs. I'm, I'm in shock that I didn't start cocaine until, you know, 2020. Because I did not care about my life at all. At all. Up until I got diagnosed and got help. So I really was excessive with the alcohol. There are many times like I probably should have died, but apparently I can handle my whiskey. So, um, How
1: much was I did you drink, your, drink a night?
0: At the worst of it, probably at least a pint, two pints to the face a day. Yeah, so,
1: that is not good.
0: No and I take straight shots so
1: yeah, I used to be the same way. just straight liquor, straight bourbon, straight whiskey.
0: Yeah, I have to drink straight whiskey. First of all, for me, alcohol wise, I do a lot of comedy shows as you know, I'm a comedian. I can't gauge how much I'm drinking if I'm drinking a mixed drink. Just give me straight shots. I know how many I'm having and that's it. I'm done. I'm not accepting any shots. I'm not accepting any mixed drinks. I know exactly how many I have to drink before I'm out of control, which is never anymore. But for a while, I was. I would show up to comedy shows, I mean, pissed drunk. Um, I think there's, I want to say there's a video of it, but I know there's a picture of one night I went to somewhere I go all the time um, on Gerard Ave. And I was, I don't even know why they let me on the mic. I was wasted like blackout wasted. I don't remember any of that. It's embarrassing. That's the problem. You know, like you look back now and you're like, that is humiliating. But at the time I was like, I don't care. Just, I'm going to keep drinking until I black out. Because <laughs> in my head, that made me more digestible to people around me because to me, I was um, just horrible person to be around. I didn't appreciate myself. I thought I was irritating. I... Thought that. Literally everyone hated me and did not want to speak to me or be around me. And I had no reason now why I ever thought like that.
1: Yeah, so yeah I, I still had great confidence.
0: But well, I, I mean... Still had... Go ahead,
1: I'm sorry. No, you, you go first. You said you still had what?
0: I was just going to say, I still had a really high confidence level. Like, the confidence level that I have now, my confidence has never changed but it was fake you know like that it was literally just a mask of smiles and they looked genuine i am a master manipulator nobody could tell that anything was going on with me unless i said something or unless they were my closest friends because they would notice signs that something is not right um there were many nights after my younger sister died that my friend that i told you about would pop up at my house randomly Just to check on me. And she lived like 40 minutes away. So she would drive, you know, often to just pop in and make sure I was good. And I'd be standing in the kitchen disassociating for three, four or five hours at a time, just no idea what I was in the kitchen for in the first place. It was just bad for a while. Um, and even with the with the Coke, um, she really stepped in and helped me a few times, you know, she cleaned my kitchen. While I'm vomiting in the bathroom, um, you know, trying to drink water. She set a bottle of water in the bathroom. She just, I have no idea what I would have done without her. And I did not deserve that. She did not deserve that, you know?
1: So. So, at what point did you say that you needed help?
0: I tried to kill myself. It wasn't that I'd made a decision like, I deserve better than this. It was just like, I I can't do this anymore. I felt empty. And I knew that I was not going to live long like that. And I would rather do it myself than have my family find me of like an overdose or something, which is oddly enough what I tried to kill myself with anyway. So it didn't really make sense. But thankfully, um, It feels like divine intervention because um, I had a friend over, and another friend had called, and I don't remember what he said on the phone, but it didn't add up to what I'd said to her because I had already started getting excessive with it before she had gotten to my house. Excessive on just continuously cocaine and drinking. I was combining both. I was like on a on a rail um basically a bender um I planned on extending it through the weekend to to remind you a week before this I'd given myself a heart attack a week before that so I already knew my heart was not going to be able to take an entire weekend bender I bought bought two balls of cocaine and I'd already gone through one by the time she got into my house I was fully prepared to be gone you know, after she left. And something he said, I can't remember what it was, struck her. And she was like, something's not right. And um, she uh, made me call somebody to take me to the hospital. And I went to the uh, mental institution from there. And because I'm a master manipulator, I could have left that day. I could have went straight home. How did, you right men-
1: How did you end up there?
0: When you try to commit suicide. In it's automatic, okay. It is automatic. Now it's automatic, but you can sign yourself out. If you can convince them or they are convinced that you don't actually want to die, you know, it's just an error in judgment or whatever the case may be. I don't know the guidelines on it, but you can sign yourself out because I was offered that, you know, I convinced them like, I don't want to die. I just, you know, was having issues or just got too excessive or whatever. And they were ready to let me leave, and i I did have that pen in my hand, and I was gonna sign that paper and that's when I kind of said, "I need to be here. I need to be here because this is not how I want to live my life you know um so it was kind of in that moment I was like i'm gonna sign I'm not gonna sign this paper I'm gonna sign a different one and I'm gonna check myself in and I was like, I'm gonna stay here for the seventy two hour hold and see what happens from there and that seventy two hour Hold was two and some change weeks instead. Um, yeah, but I had never been alone with my thoughts up until that point, especially sober. So it was just thirty plus hours of me triggering and having a psychotic episode. I did not know where I was. I thought I was in the woods. Then I thought I was, I knew I was in the hospital. Then somebody walking towards me is the guy and I'm freaking out and I'm screaming and I'm like smelling wind that's not there. And I can feel dirt and crunching leaves I'm hearing and there's nothing here but this hospital. And it was literally one of the scariest things that I have ever gone through aside from my trauma, because it was literally kind of like living it over again. But at the same time, I realized that I am not there. Fully. Does that make sense? Probably not. Uh, That's a psychotic (laughs) episode. It doesn't make sense. I could not discern what was reality and what was my trauma flashback because that's what it was. It was like watching a Lifetime movie with no commercial breaks, like a really, really deep one. You know, I'm watching myself get brutalized and tortured and everything and feeling that all over again. And at this point, I had no idea that even happened. So it added another layer of confusion where I'm like, when did this happen? You know, what, what is going on here? Cause it doesn't play out like a movie in order. It's bits and pieces that you're kind of jumping into like one of those chapter books where you pick your own adventure, but like, I didn't pick this adventure this way, you know? Um, it was horrible and terrifying. And that entire two week stay in the hospital was really me trying to write it down and figure it out. Like this happened this had to have happened, you know? And that's where I'm like, oh my God, like this happened. When did this happen? Like, how did I not know this happened? You know? And then I'm like, well, maybe if you hadn't done so many fucking drugs, you know, for like 12 years, you might've realized it sooner, but, you know, accepting and taking accountability for the mistakes we make doesn't have to take any time at all. You can do it right away. But You have to believe that you deserve better, you know?
1: What did you do to
0: actually get better? I am on meds. I got my diagnosis. Um, and when I got out of the hospital, I finished my trauma narrative. And Did I you did ever go to rehab? To. No. But I am on probation, so I did get drug tested and things like that. Um, I have a child. And I was already gone for two weeks. And it happened very suddenly. And I could not... It was killing me to not see my child. So it was not benefiting me anymore to be away from home. Everything that they wanted to do in rehab, I had already done in the two weeks in the hospital. I was already clean. I didn't have any, you know, any kind of like aftershocks, so to speak. I had already gone through. Now I'm medicated for my mental health conditions. I was seeing a therapist. I was in group therapy. Um, I was on, I'm on the right track, you know? Um, so I never really felt a need for it. So, but I do have to take a drug test every week because I am on um, probation. I got a DUI before I told you it was a long down downward spiral for me uh, this year. But uh, rock bottom is where I built the foundation to go straight up. So
1: that's a great yeah. saying.
0: Yeah, J.K. Like Rowling. That. Yeah, J.K. Rowling.
1: So how do you stay sober nowadays?
0: I have a drink every now and again. I'm not 100% sober. Uh, I can't just be out here raw dog in life. Like, it's just too, it's too hard. It is. Um, I invest my time in my projects, in my child and in myself instead. You know, I don't have anything to escape from anymore. I've already faced it. So for me, it's like, I always used it as a way to escape. I don't want to think about that. You know, ew. (laughs) Yeah, I don't want to think about that. That's terrifying to think about, but now it's like, I already went through it. I already know what happened and yes, it was terrifying, but it's done and it's over with. And I know what happened from start to finish and I don't need justice. My justice was knowing the whole story. A lot of people didn't get that much. You know, a lot of people also didn't get the surprise like I did. So it was just kind of what keeps me sober is me accepting that I was given a second chance And that I deserve more from my life than constantly running and hiding from something. So that's what keeps me sober. I lean on my friends if I need them. I lean on my comedy so I can roast myself. And I invest it in creative ways. Like acting a fool on Facebook.
1: (laughs) So you have your own YouTube channel. Then There's something that you wanted to uh, talk about, right?
0: Well, I have a YouTube channel because I do have a podcast. Okay. Um, It's modeled after my book that is called Ho Handbook, and it teaches people how to please and be pleasing through sexual and self-empowerment. It's all about, you know, bad bitch, big dick energy, Um, being yourself authentically and living your life with intent. Um, And it's educational, so... Uh, I have a lot of sexual education courses on there. It's a lot of fun to, to record. And I, I have fun watching them too. So I just hate my voice. <laughs> I think we all do, right?
1: Yeah, I don't like my voice either. No, absolutely not. So where yeah. can you find your podcast?
0: Um, My Ho On The Go podcast, I go live every Thursday on Facebook and on YouTube. Everything is under C.A. Knubel.com. And I am also on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, you name it, I'm on there. Um, Just type in HO with an E at the end, on the go, and you'll find it. And my mental health is on a totally separate um, streaming page. But everything, including my mental health project, you just find on my website. So (laughs) it just makes it easier to put everything in one place. Because I do a lot.
1: Sounds like it. I do. And this stuff keeps us over.
0: Yeah. I used to stay really busy. And then when I wasn't busy, I would just get stoned or drunk and pass out. Now I do stay busy, but I stay busy doing things that will help other people so that they don't have to get drunk or get stoned to pass out. You know, I don't want people to have to do or learn the lessons the way that I did. So me staying busy in a productive way is way better and it's also way less because now I recognize burnout before I was too drugged up to even notice but burnout is a thing and I have learned my limits now so I know when to take a break but my mental health project has taken over quite a bit of my life
1: (laughs) so my last question is do you have any advice for people watching and listening
0: absolutely um you do not have to hide any part of yourself or any experience that you went through. It is not your secret or your burden to carry alone. You should reach out to somebody that you trust and talk to them about it and get help if you need it. We are not here forever. We are all on borrowed time. You don't want your borrowed time to be wasted and that you can, in a way that you can't remember or that you didn't leave a mark on the world for. Do something intentionally that you love, that will bring you joy because you deserve it. That's what I got.
1: That's what you got? That's
0: what I got. That's
1: what you got. Well, I think it's been a good interview. How do you feel?
0: I feel like I talk very fast, but I feel good.
1: Uh, I've been told the same thing. It's the way we are in New York. I got the Jersey accent.
0: I'm from Philly, so.
1: Okay, not far.
0: Not far at all. Yeah, but I like, I thought it was a great interview. I like to be able to explain what I went through and it kind of like cringy for me a little bit, but you know what, it's accepting my behaviors and the way it affects not only me, but the people around me and my family and acknowledging that and accepting it so that I can be better. Because unless you accept it, you cannot be better. Nope. You have to acknowledge that, you know. It takes time for people to forgive you and to rewire broken brains, but it does not take time to hold yourself accountable and forgive yourself for being a piece of crap, <laughs> so to speak.
1: You got some good advice there. Appreciate it.
0: Thank you. Thank you. I like to call myself an inspiration, or whatever. No, I'm kidding.
1: <laughs> Did you have anything else you want to add in?
0: Um, just if anybody wants to find me, can go on my website www.cacanubal.com.
1: And, and just so everyone knows, Canubal is K-A-N-O-O-B-L-E. So cacanubal.com. Did I get that right? You got it. All right, perfect. I just wanted to make sure people know how to find you. So Thank sit tight you. for me. And for everyone watching and listening, I hope you enjoyed what you saw and heard today. If you did, go below and give us a like. Also, subscribe to see when we upload new videos. You can check us out on Twitter, Reddit, Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr, and TikTok. You can also check out our website, which is www.addicts-anonymous.com. There you will find plenty of resources as well as free literature. So that's all I have for today. And until next time.